Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Just a friendly reminder about the book I wrote. It's called Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. I encourage you to check out that book. Um, if you have time, it would help all of us if you left a review on Amazon or Deseret Book and got more people connected with that book. On today's podcast, I'm really excited about this podcast. I have two sisters, um, Laurie Rodriguez, who I'll introduce first, who's calling in from um, one hour west of Chicago. And let me just read a little bit about Laurie Rodriguez. She is a violin teacher and a mom of three, two of which identify as LGBTQ. She is a mama dragon and co-vice president of the Chicago Affirmation Chapter. She has written several essays, including B1, which is published on the Affirmation main page and serves as a resource to other moms. Um, I really love the work that the Chicago Affirmation Chapter is doing. Um, their president, Carl Malchant, is a wonderful friend of mine doing great work. And Kevin Klusterman, who's been on the podcast, is also doing great work. And Laurie's sister, as I mentioned, is also joining us. She is um, in St. George, Utah. So we're all Zooming together. You're just hearing the audio. Um, Laurie's sister is Dr. Mary Elizabeth Wild. And she is Laurie's younger sister. And she is a pediatrician with a focus on behavioral health and wellness. She is the mom of eight boys. She has an online course for kids and teens with anxiety and general parenting resources, which is available at drmarywilde.com. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> the thing I love about this podcast is Laurie is coming from the perspective of a mom of two LGBTQ children, and her sister, Dr. Mary Wilde, is coming from the perspective of a pediatrician that's, really, that's developed expertise in this area. So my, our hope, and we said a prayer before we started, is that if you're a parent, if you're LGBTQ, if you're in the clinic, if you're in practice in any way or a local leader, that the things these two women share will be helpful for you as you're trying to help LGBTQ people. Uh, also, just a couple housekeeping things. I'll probably call Dr. Mary Wild a few different things at times. I may call her Dr. Mary because that's how she refers in her private practice for her, for her patients. So if I go between Dr. Mary and Dr. Wild, that's the same person. <laughs> and her middle, her name is Mary Elizabeth. And so Liz is her nickname that her sister may call her. So if you hear the name Liz, you know that's <laughs> that is also Laurie the same person. <laughs> talking to doctor about Dr. Mary Wild. So we'll try to help you listeners keep these two women straight in your mind. And so you know who's talking from whose perspective. Uh, we're going to divide the podcast in roughly four sections, and I wanted to give you an overview um, on the four sections. These are questions that, that these two women came up with. And the first one is we're going to talk about Dr. Mary's work um, that I became aware of during a Facebook Live sharing um, where she showed results of a, a survey. Um, for parents navigating the coming out process of an LGBT teen. So we'll talk more about that, those survey results. The second part of this podcast is Dr. Mary will talk about the research showing um, regarding the psychological needs of LGBTQ teens. 
and Laurie will interject as a mother um, about those observations. The third section, third section will be Laurie talking about what she's learned as the mom of an LGBTQ child, and in her case, two children. And then our last segment will be Dr. Mary talking about um, her experience supporting her sister. Is that okay, ladies? Yeah, that sounds great. So let's start with this first section. Dr. Mary, talk about this Facebook Live. Talk about the survey and the results and share with that with our listeners. Sure. Um, this was such a, a joy to put together. Um, my sister helped me um, put this survey out in the right audiences, and I was able to get parents' input about the things that they most wanted to share about their experience of their child's coming out process and the things that they were happy they did, the things that they regretted doing. And then I was able to gather this data together and mm-hmm. and share it. And so if it's okay, I'll go ahead and, and talk about some of those results. Um, so, you know, one of the reasons I, I did this survey is because through my sister's experiences, I was able to understand the importance of story. And I know, Richard, that that's something that you feel very strongly about as well. But um, Ellie Wiesel says, when you listen to a witness, you become a witness. And, and so after understanding my sister's experience and our family's experience, I just have felt that it's so important to allow people to share their stories to and to help people navigate these difficult times. So some of the main points that came out from this survey, um, there are about, let's see, I believe seven main conclusions that these parents shared. Um, The first one was express love. This was the biggest takeaway that parents were so happy they did when their child told them that they were gay or transgender. And it was what the young adults who responded shared as the most important thing that their parents did. And some parents that were coming from a spiritually conservative background said that they felt initially less free to send a message of acceptance, but that doing so anyway was one of the most important choices that they made. They told their kids things like, I love you no matter what. I want you to be happy. I support you 100%. And there's really solid research, which I'll talk about in a minute, that family rejection predicts negative outcomes for LGBTQ youth, whereas family acceptance can be a powerful protective factor. So the next point that came out as a theme was the importance of being mindful of the messages you're sending. Can I say some things about that? Okay, Okay, this is Laurie. Um, I learned from my experience how important it is to be aware of the messages we're sending even before we know we have an LGBTQ child in our family or in our classroom at church or in our community because we probably do. (laughs) And um, they are getting messages all along. and so. Um, I wish that I would have been more mindful of that earlier um, because and, um, anything that's judgmental or dismissive or, 
or othering that they hear, they internalize. And, and um, whether it's in a talk or a lesson or something that's said that you don't um, contradict, or if it's just even just um, not knowing anybody who's LGBTQ. And um, those kinds of things can, can make it so that when they get to that stage and they're realizing that that's them, that they are scared and they feel like they are somebody on the outside of their own community. Mm-hmm. And that can be um, scary and devastating and even life-threatening. And so I just um, realized that when they come out is a really important time to, to really be aware of the messages you're sending. And you probably will make mistakes because we all do, but just keep asking and for their experience and keep trying to listen and learning and, um, and, and I was thinking about how so many parents that I've talked to, um, say, Oh, I wish I wouldn't have said this. I wish I wouldn't have said that. And it kind of reminded me of how, um, you know, when you first have a baby, um, that's like a really special moment for bonding where you could, you know, it's, it's wonderful if at that moment you can, you know, have the baby on, on your stomach, right. Skin to skin right away and stuff like that. But if you miss that opportunity because you had a C-section or something like that, you still have a lifetime of bonding ahead of you that you can, um, create. And so I, I think it's important to do our very best to be mindful of the messages we're sending, but we will likely send ones we don't realize we're sending and to be open to hearing those and learning from those for our whole lives. But also I just want to caution everybody who thinks that they don't have anybody LGBTQ in their lives, that they probably do. And that they, it's just so important when you're, when you're speaking no matter who you're with, that you are, are treated as though one of somebody is there because they probably are and speak with, with the love that you have for everybody so that, and develop that love so that nobody does have to feel like they are an other. And also to create a situation where kids would feel free to come out and share anything whether it's being LGBTQ or, or any other concern or thing that they have about themselves that, that is new or different than what they or you expected. I think that's so valuable. Thank you, Laurie, for adding that. Um, I'm going to read a quote also created with this idea of messages that, that one of the parent respondents shared with the survey. Um, so one, one dad said, I wish I had known that around one in 20 kids will be LGBT. It's not if, it's who around you, who in your family. It's not those people, it's your baby. Always, always speak inclusively, respectfully, and kindly. Don't other anyone. And he goes on to say, children internalize everything. They're forming their identity and are looking for clues. They know if you fear or distrust or dislike certain groups by how you talk, how you respond, by when you remain silent, what you laugh at, who you ignore, who makes you nervous or awkward. And when they realize that they are the ones, that they are one of those people, it will crush them. 
they won't just fear you and your response. They will have learned to despise themselves. Their own homophobia will be their greatest danger. You have to be, you have to proactively work at being inclusive in order to make space for whatever or whoever your children may be or become. Focus on making sure they never need to be afraid of their authentic and intuitive self. Don't just tolerate, embrace others' authenticity and its sincerity and diversity. Then you'll be protecting your own little ones. I love that. So the next common theme in the survey was believe their experience. And the young adults who responded each mentioned that they had spent years coming to the conclusion that they were lesbian or gay and that their parents questioning and denial at the moment of sharing was hurtful. One parent said, before I accepted my son was gay, I was in total denial. It took me six years to really listen to what he was trying to say. He started quietly, mom, I think I'm gay. I told him, no, you're not. A couple years later, he told me, mom, I'm gay. I told him, no, you're not. A year later, he told me quite firmly, I'm gay. I shouted at him, you're not gay. You just are attracted to boys. <laughs> she said she really regretted not listening in the first place. So it might take time, as one parent said, to reimagine the world through a new lens. One mom of a transgender boy said that she had to go through a transition process herself celebrating that she now had a son, but also grieving for losing a daughter. So um, just the importance of trusting other people's realities. The fourth thing in the survey was the advice to respond in a way that encourages future communication and ongoing connection. So one woman mentioned that her parents' inability to accept it when she told them she was a lesbian made her feel unsafe to share more or talk further about it. And she said, I'm in the closet with my parents and out to the rest of the world. She continues to have a relationship with her family, but feels like a major piece of herself isn't acknowledged or known. So that's sad. Um, in contrast, one young man said, at first, my parents didn't understand, but they were open-minded and now we've grown closer. And so parents noted that being open to healthy relationships for their teens also allowed them to be in on that experience, whereas forbidding it led in, in some cases to secrecy and unhealthy behaviors. Number five was educate yourself. And I love that one person shared that the main educator for her was her own child. And I think that that's appropriate, that we let our children really be the ones to teach us. And um, one mom said that, that her prayers changed over time. And at first she was praying, remove this burden. But once she started changing that to say, help me see my child as you do, then suddenly that was when the answers came. And um, in the, the, on the subject of educating, and they talked about the importance of reading and listening to other people's stories. And that exactly is exactly what we're doing here. And, and Richard, that's exactly what you promote. And I so appreciate that. And I think within the church community, there, there is this fear of listening to stories. Um, I think maybe people understand the power of stories, but, but the power is, is a beautiful power because it helps people's experience be real and not just theoretical. And it helps us understand and love. Another 
point under educating yourself um, was the recommendation to make sure you're looking at up-to-date research and that you're not operating from old data. And I think this could apply to scientific research as well as religious study. Um, because in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, um, there has been a shift and some people aren't aware of that shift. And so they're operating from old quotes, old data, and it can be really hurtful. Um, so um, the sixth point was the idea of connecting with real people in the community and connecting with people at different stages of the journey, other parents and people who are LGBTQ, um, just to help reimagine the future for yourself and your kids. Can when, I say uh, yes, yes, please. Okay, so um, one of the things when after um, I was trying to figure out what was best for my kids and for my family that I felt inspired to do was to get to know the LGBTQ people in our community. And um, so um, we had, we got to know some people really well and really, really enjoyed them. And they were a blessing to our family to, to know them. And it really made things clear to me because I saw the good fruits of their marriage and their relationship. And we've been able to, um, to see them be at the celebration for their adoption of their new baby and her first birthday. And um, I realized that um, I, I wish that we would have had a broader friend base all along and um, we were missing out. And now we have, um, the, we have so many beautiful people that we know now that we wouldn't have known before, not because we were, you know, avoiding it or anything, but just because it didn't occur to us. But now we're, we're so blessed to, to find goodness and beauty in, in all these places that, that um, we hadn't known before and just wonderful relationships. And again, it made things very clear to me because I could see the, the beautiful fruits of their lives. And, um, and I think it also helped my kids imagine a future for themselves as well. Thank you so much for sharing that, Laurie. Um, the last thing I'd like to mention about the survey are just a few other collective messages that came from that. And um, one was prioritize your child's well-being over all else. Another parent said it will get better. Another said listen. And I love this quote. One mom shared, I feel extremely lucky to have a gay child. She has taught me to love with my whole heart. I'm a better person because of her. I want to give all parents hope that the thing they fear most may just end up being their greatest unexpected blessing. So I love that. And it was just such a wonderful experience. I would, I would say amen to that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great segment. Um, I love all those first 10 quotes. I love Laurie's personal experience in this. So that's a great segment. Anything else you want to share um, before we go to the next segment, either of you? All right, I let's think, go I think ahead. that covers it. Um, yeah. Here's my leading question to the next segment. Dr. Mary, could you talk about some of the research 
talk about what some of the research shows regarding the psychological needs of LGBTQ teens. And then, Laurie, could you follow up with some of your own observations? So I think it's just really important that parents feel permission to meet the needs of their kids. And I remember one mom pulling me aside and just telling me that she, for so many years, felt like she was supposed to kind of express, like live in disapproval of her child. And she felt like she missed out so much over the course of, you know, nearly 20 years of this process. And she just wished she had known that it didn't have to be that way. And so um, just to give you a few statistics, you know, it depends on the study you look at, but there definitely are increased risks for anxiety, depression, suicide. There was a relatively recent publication done by a doctoral student at the University of Georgia, and he, his name was Brian Simmons, and he talked about how PTSD symptoms in LGBTQ members of the church were 10 times the rate of the general population, which I think that sometimes we don't realize how traumatizing it can be to be othered and to not know where you fit in the world, in the eternities. And, um, and so parents cannot afford to not support their kids in this dangerous position. Um, and, um, I love this quote by Deborah Oaks Co. She says, when a person comes out as LGBTQ, especially a young person to a parent, they're not looking for you to agree. They're asking if they are still loved, assure them that they are. I think that is so important. Um, it's so hard to navigate, you know, kids are navigating new ideas, parents are navigating and religious parents in particular can feel caught between two conflicting jobs of supporting their child and then trying to direct their child. And, um, and sometimes they've gotten this longstanding message that, um, homosexuality is a threat, a risk. And so they, their vacillation between these two positions can really compromise their ability to offer this clear message of support and love. And um, I think that it's really hard in a relationship to think of having a healthy relationship with someone who's continually sending a message of disapproval or a message that you're misguided. So a couple other pieces of data I'd like to refer to. Um, there's the Family Acceptance Project, which... Um, Maybe Richard, you could include the link to um, in the show notes, but they have a lot of wonderful resources that also speak to the idea of the importance of family acceptance. And this is some of the data that they report from a study that was done in 2009 by Ryan et al. <laughs> um, so LGBT young adults who reported high levels of family rejection during adolescence were um, about eight times more likely to report having attempted suicide, um, about six times more likely to report high levels of depression, about three and a half times more likely to use illegal drugs, and about three and a half times more likely to have engaged in um, risky sexual behaviors compared with peers 
from families that reported no or low levels of family rejection. I think that's a really, really important statistic. Um, also in that study, um, there was a report of happiness, uh, levels of happiness of LGBTQ adults. And 92% of those whose families were extremely accepting during their adolescence said they were happy adults, whereas only 35% of those whose families were not at all accepting. So I think that those things are really important for us to be aware of. Um, and I would like to, um, this is Laurie. <laughs> um, one of my favorite articles um, is written by Deborah Oaks Co. And I'll, we maybe we can put a link to it in the thing. It's about um, preventing suicides in our wards and families. Um, but in that, she, she um, quotes Brene Brown two times. And I just feel like these are really significant quotes because um, there's such a, um, a hit on one's belonging when they feel um, rejected or othered. Because Brene Brown, a researcher and professor at the University of Houston Graduate College of Social Work, specializes in social connection. She said, connection is why we're here. It's what gives purpose and meaning to our lives. Belonging is in our DNA. It is an irreducible need like love. We are biologically, cognitively, physically, and spiritually wired to love, to be loved, and to belong. When those needs are not met, we don't function as we were meant to. We break. We fall apart. We numb. We ache. We hurt others. We get sick. We are profoundly social creatures. At the root of most of our desires is a need to belong, to be accepted, to connect with others, to be loved. A sense of social connection is one of our fundamental human needs. Um, and Brene Brown was also quoted as saying that not belonging or psychological isolation is, quote, the most terrifying and destructive feeling that a person can experience. This is not the same as being alone. It is a feeling that one is locked out of the possibility of human connection and of being powerless to change the situation. In the extreme psychological isolation, oops, in the extreme, Psychological isolation can lead to a sense of hopelessness and desperation. People will do almost anything to escape the combination of condemned isolation and powerlessness. And so Deborah Oaks Co. concludes, embracing, valuing, empathizing, and including people communicates that they belong with us. And I just want to um, emphasize, I went to a, a talk at one of the affirmation um, presentations by Sarah, I think her name is like, it starts with a Z. She's a, a really good um, therapist. I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name, but anyway, we can put a link to her too. But um, she talked about all these different spokes of belonging and how LGBT kids in the church, um, there are losses in each of those, can be losses in each of those sections. They, if they're being told that they can't have a future family, then they don't have, you know, if they believe that, then they don't have that to look forward to. If they, um, if they feel threatened that, you know, they might not have their own family in the eternities, that's um, a really dangerous message to be giving. And I think 
makes it hard for people to be connected and to attach to each other and to support and to feel supported and like they belong. And then sometimes, you know, friends or, or, or classmates or bishops or teachers um, and community members can be rejecting. And so it, it can just be, and then if they've gotten negative messages already and internalized them, you might be rejecting of themselves. And so it's, it's there, that's why they're so at risk is because there's such a um, hit on their sense of belonging and we just need to do better than that. I'd like to just also say, just to bring this around to, to bring it, to emphasize that it's, it's pertinent for everybody. It's not just for parents who have LGBTQ kids, like you've said, Larry. Um, and one thing that I think of is the ACEs study. Um, that's a study that was done in the late 1990s and it was studying adverse childhood experiences. And that measures a person's, um, you know, early traumas that they've experienced. And when people have early traumas, then it can increase their risk for chronic disease and um, both physical and emotional. Um, and it was so telling that one of the most important buffering effects for these early adverse experiences was to have one caring adult, one caring adult. And so everybody listening to this podcast can be that caring adult for someone. And I think that's an important thing for us to realize. I love all those things that you both said. Deborah Oaks, co-quotes, Brene Brown, um, really good stuff. Um, very, very helpful. Anything else before we go on to segment three? Okay, let's have Laurie um, share your experience as a mom of LGBTQ children. Well, I just wanted to say that I feel like I'm really grateful because I feel like I have been able to like I said earlier, find goodness and beauty in all around me in more places than I even knew to look. And um, I feel like I've been able to really, because I had to just depend on my own relationship with God, because when I was getting inspiration for my own family that didn't match maybe what the church experts were saying, um, I knew that I needed to follow what I would felt in my heart. And, um, and there were so many times that I just felt um, guided or, or sustained or reassured. I felt kind of like one of my favorite scripture stories is um, when Nephi's family, Lehi and Sariah and all their kids are um, going to the promised land. And, and it's kind of scary. I mean, they leave and, and they have to go on a boat and there's all these things that happen, you know, on the way. And Sariah, the mom, who I actually named my oldest daughter after, <laughs> um, is, is very worried, understandably so. And, but God has said to them that one of my favorite verses is where he says that that they will come to know him. God says they will come to know him through the journey and that it is by him that they are led. And I just really identified with that a lot and felt like I was being led separately 
um, to our family's own promised land. And that through that experience, I would know that I, I was, that it, that it was okay, that it was good. And I just kept feeling like I kept seeing good fruits in other people's lives and, and in our family from things that I, when I followed what I felt were my own inspirations. Um, and one of the main ones of those was to listen. One was to have, you know, get to know LGBTQ people. One was to go to the affirmation um, um, conference for the first time. That was scary the first time, but it was life-changing for our family and so meaningful. One of the most spiritual experiences I've had. And um, another one was to trust my son and, and his, his reality. And I mean, at the beginning, when everything was new, I just kept feeling like I needed to trust his reality and his, his, his feelings about what was good for his own life. And then different things stood out to me. Um, like I loved Elder Stevenson's talk about the sheepdog. And that was reassuring to me because I thought I'm being like that sheepdog. I'm staying on the mountain with my kids and we might be locked out in the winter, but we're out here together. And, um, and anyway, um, and then I also felt a lot like Eve because I felt like I was, I had to step out into the unknown and take the risk of taking responsibility for trusting my own discernment and learning through my, uh, my own experience rather than just trusting what is being told in general and um, really lean on my own, you know, uh, sense of what was good in my heart and my, the, the fruits that I saw and my own inspiration. And so I just feel like it is, and I've learned so much about, um, about God and about loving other people. And I feel like my life is way richer. So I'm really grateful <laughs> to have LGBTQ kids and also for my wonderful street daughter too. <laughs> um, but I guess the thing, main thing I would say is the importance of trusting each other and trusting ourselves and trusting our own inspiration. And then also just really, really listening because people are hurting. And one of the big eye openers for me was that things that I didn't realize were hurtful were hurtful. Um, and it's interesting because um, there are some things that just sound like good news when you hear, hear them. Like if you do this, then we have all these blessings. But then if you're in a situation where that isn't something that works for you, then then it ends up being bad news. You end up being in the shadow of not having those things. And so every time they say those things, they're actually kind of excluding, they're excluding you. And so all of a sudden, all the, the, the things that we built up to, to be a support and an inspiration, some of them ended up not being so. They ended up, it's like if you build a house, my husband said it was like if you build a house for your kids to live in, but then if some parts of it end up actually be harming them then and they're still living inside it it's like a haunted house and so and and so it's hard and when you hear when you hear things 
um, that are hurtful and you see how they land on um, people that they're hurting. Um, it's kind of like, you know, I, I wrote a thing about an optical, this one optical illusion where there were these straight lines in the whole picture, but then it said there were circles and I looked and I looked and I looked and I looked and I could not see any circles in this op optical illusion. And I started wondering, are they even really there? But then when I did finally see them, I couldn't unsee them. And I feel like there are a lot of people that don't see what the, what the things are that are causing the pain. And because they're far enough away from it, they can just kind of explain it away or, or give some trite answer or, or um, make it seem like, oh, that's taken care of in this other way. Oh, or just go put it on a shelf. But when you see the harm it's doing to people, then you can't not see those things and hear those things. And it makes you hear with new ears and it makes you have more empathy. And one thing I was really grateful for in this whole journey was having a sister that when I would tell her, you know, what I was experiencing and what I was hearing and the new things I was discovering and that she was on the, on the journey with me. So then, you know, when there was a talk that, that I was going to really hear all these things in, she heard it first <laughs> and told me, you know, oh no, this bothered me too. And I think that, um, that that's the kind of friend we need to be with for people is, is that we can hear with, with their ears and their experience changes us as well. And it, I was just really grateful to feel like she wasn't, um, I'm, I, I hear about other people whose family members are worried about them and trying to pull them back to to orthodoxy or, you know, mainstream thinking everything is clear um, and obvious. And she, and, and, you know, or judging them, but I just feel really grateful that she trusted me knowing what's best for myself, just like I was trusting my kids to know what was best for them. And um, that she was experiencing it with me. My pain was her pain. That's a really good segment. And I think Dr. Mary's going to chime in, but that was really helpful. That visual of the round lines and the square lines is powerful and to help understand and see pain. And I, you remind me of this quote from Fiona Givens. Um, Every Latter-day Saint who wishes to bear another, another's burden must first touch that person's cross to understand the nature and depth of the pain being carried. And you, Laurie, just, and Mary's been doing this too, have helped us understand the cross that our LGBTQ members face. But we have to hear stories. We have to look at the research. We have to move into this space and understand. Uh, Mary, your thoughts. Oh, can I say one more thing? Yes. I just wanted to say, and that the pain and that the, the cross, at least I feel like in my experience, isn't the LGBTQ part. Exactly. It's, it's the intersection of that with um, philosophies that other. And, um, and the, and the, um, the othering and the rejection, that's, that's where the pain comes from. 
And Laurie, what you were talking about, I love that um, the analogy you made with that optical illusion. And I feel like as your sister, I was the things that you saw, then suddenly I saw and I couldn't unsee. And so I think that I just want to encourage any listeners that may be in the position of having a family member or a friend or a ward member who um, is experiencing um, issues related to LGBTQ or any issue that maybe marginalizes them in some way, that I just want to encourage you to join with that person and love them. and just to be able to trust people to navigate their own lives. And it's interesting because as a mother, as a pediatrician, as somebody who works with parents, I see that there are many youth who are questioning the church at times because, partly because of this issue. And, and they're questioning it based on integrity because they are troubled by the pain that they see. And so I think it's important to even, you know, our own kids who may be struggling with their faith, it's, it might be um, our inclination to judge them. And, but I think we have to see the nobility in how they're trying to have solidarity with people who they see struggle. Um, and so I feel, I feel like one of my jobs is to stay in the church and help the church, you know, because we all create what the church is. We are, you know, there's a scripture that talks about all the members, you know, and, and without one member, it, it can't be the full body of the church. And I think that we will help the prophecies come true as we stay. And as we are part of the welcoming committee, and as we reach out to people and make church be a place of love. And I recognize that some people feel like they need to leave it because maybe they're closer to the issues and, and attendance is hurtful and raw for them at times. And so that makes it all the more reason that if we can stay, we, we stay because we need to be there um, and to advocate for people and to listen and to to kind of check the messages that are being stated to just help other people be more careful and 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 respectful in how they they speak and and one of my favorite talks that it was from an October 2018 general conference was elder suarez and he talked about the importance of the church being allowing us to be one in the church and he talked about the symbols of two rivers coming together. And he says, um, as we encourage, support, and love each other, we combine to form a mighty force for good of the world. As followers of Jesus Christ, flowing as one in this river of goodness, we will be able to provide the fresh water of the gospel to a thirsty world. And he acknowledges that some people might ask, is there a place for me here? Do I fit? in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Does the church need me? Will I find friends willing to help and support me? 
And he says, those of us who are at different points in the long journey of discipleship must extend a warm hand of fellowship to, you know, our new friends and accept people where they are and help and love and include them in our lives. And, and I think that that is where the richness will come and where we can um, really go forward as a body. Um, but I, I, I wanted to add, um, like in the, in the book of Mormon, it talks about how the stories of the different communities are going to come together. Like, well, it talks about, you know, the Bible and then the book of Mormon are going to come together and both will be edified by each other's stories. And, um, I think that that is also just true for people who are on different paths and different um, different journeys in their lives, like, um, like the people who see the pain are going to enrich the people who don't and, and the people who, by helping them to see it and helping them to love better. And I also think that, um, the people who aren't in the church have their own important stories to share and their own, um, things to contribute, maybe not to the church, but to the world. And, um, and like you were saying, it's really important to respect the people who feel like the church isn't the right place for them, that, that, that they know what's best for themselves and to support them just as wonderful people of integrity, living beautiful lives. Well, I love this podcast, love the things you sh two women are sharing, and it's very similar to my own journey to learn this space. Uh, any more on that segment? We move to our last segment. All right, I'm going to read the question here. Mary, what have you learned from your experience supporting your sister? And I think I basically answered that question. <laughs> I think that the comments that I made previously really addressed that. Um, that I've learned so much from my sister. And I'm just grateful that she has let me in on her experience because um, it's been kind of like a vicarious experience for me where um, I have been really enriched. My eyes have been opened in many ways to, to understanding other people's perspectives. And, and one thing that I'll just mention, it was funny. Um, the first time I went to an affirmation conference, I went with my sister. She invited me to join her and it was scary for me too. I just didn't know what to expect. And, um, and I remember this moment where they were having a dance and they were just, everybody was just dancing on this dance floor. And there were there, I remember there was this big circle of people. It was my sister and me, and there was this transgender woman and there were gay men and they were like, everyone was just dancing together on this dance floor. And it was such a beautiful moment of just joy shared. And, and I also felt like it was a spiritual moment because I wouldn't have expected it. I wouldn't have expected necessarily that I would be on that dance floor. Um, but I just am really grateful to have had that experience and um, and to be able to walk the path with my sister. That's really cool. Laurie, things that come to your mind about Mary walking this path with you? 
I think that all of the things that that she talked about in that survey apply to supporting each other as well. Um, just listening and trusting people's experience and getting to know people and um, educating yourself and responding in ways that encourage future communication. All of those things apply to our endeavors to support each other. And um, they also are things to do, not just at the coming out moment, but beforehand and afterhand and to keep getting better at because we're none of us are perfect at those things and and um but i'm just i um the thing that 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 quote that she read from that lady who said that um she was so grateful because it brought so much love and joy into her life to have an lgbt child i just feel like um that's true for any LGBT person in our lives. And I feel like um, if you don't have that, then it's time to start having it. <laughs> and Laurie, you have, I think that maybe you could also speak to the fact that um, for people who don't have a support network, where can they go? You know, there, there are so many communities and circles that can offer support. Um, yeah, there's, if, if you need support, there's a whole community of people out here just waiting to embrace you and support you. There's mama dragons. There's the, I'll walk with you site for, for parents. There's affirmation. There's Emmaus. Um, these are all really good places to, um, find other people that, um, can understand um, your joys and your, the things that are tricky to navigate and, um, and to develop new, wonderful relationships with. Uh, this is a really good podcast and I want to give you both a chance to continue talking, but as just some notes I wrote down as you two were sharing and really teaching is this quote comes to my mind that Sometimes we develop these false dichotomies that to fully love God, we need to stop loving some of his children. I think you're teaching us we can do both. And we don't need to pull away from our children, our LGBTQ children. And I, you know, a therapist taught me the principle of self-determination that I, I will invite everybody to stay in the church, um, but I will then sort of own our doctrine is what I call it is, um, the doctrine of agency is I will let people self-determine what they feel their best path is. And I will, I will walk with them on that path. I will support them on that path. I won't sort of sit back and wait for them to fail. Um, I will, if they self-determine what they feel their best path is, then I'm going to cheer for them on that path. And I just think that's part of owning our doctrine of agency and my job not to judge and want people to be successful. And and if I really own this doctrine of loving heavenly parents that want to do everything they can to get every one of their children back and um, open every possibility for that to happen, then I just, it lets me just relax a little bit as people choose their very best path. And, and so I think you both are teaching us how to do that. And 
you're also teaching us the beauty of LGBTQ people in our life. And that is certainly true for me. Um, is my heart has grown and my insights in the gospel of Jesus Christ and my love for everybody has increased because of LGBTQ people in the life, my life and the things they've taught me. And um, perfect love casteth out fear. I have far less fear in my life since having LGBTQ people in my life because I used to fear them um, as sort of this outside threat. And now I just see them as my brothers and sisters um, or there, you know, for some that are non-binary that wouldn't identify with a specific gender. I just see them as the same children of heavenly parents that love all of us. So you're both teaching this and it's, it's part of just coming together as the same human family. And I love just the relationship between the two of you. I wish you could both see these two women on my screen. Um, they, they work so well with each other. They defer each other. They respect each other. Uh, before we went live, they wanted to make sure that each voice was equally heard. Um, it's just kind of a beautiful sister friendship here um, that uh, is kind of a sub note of this podcast. Other things you women would like to share? Yeah, I'd like to say something about agency. I think that um, sometimes when people talk about free agency, they make it seem like we can allow other people to do things that we wouldn't choose for them. And I think it's really important instead to think of free agency as the gift that we each have to create out of our lives, our own beautiful thing based on our own desires. And so when we honor each other's free agency, like you were saying, um, I think it's really important to, to do it not in a way where, where, um, where we are stepping back and saying, I'm going to allow them to do that, but more um, celebrating all the different things people can make, all the different beautiful, health, healthy um, goodness people can make in the world through different types of paths in lives. Mm -hmm. They choose for themselves. Mary, thoughts, love that, Laurie. Mary, thoughts from you. Um, I just, um, it was interesting. Laurie talked a little bit about the idea of Eve and kind of feeling like she needed to have kind of a second departure from some garden, you know, and I have, I, it was interesting because we, as sisters, we have a lot of parallel experiences and parallel ideas. And, and I also had that same metaphor come to me as I um, thought of, you know, sharing this journey with my sister. Um, I think that anytime when we open our minds to new complexities and, um, and are willing to follow after a hope, even at our, at something that maybe initially we feel like is a risk to us. It's like the way that opportunities open and, and growth as well. And, and the, it's the way we grow and we learn by experience. And so that's something that I feel strongly about as well. So thank you so much for having us on your podcast. And it's, I so much appreciate your efforts to share um, the stories of people in a way that 
feel safe to some people that maybe they wouldn't have heard the, you know, they wouldn't have heard the stories otherwise. I feel like you have a, a gift of sharing them in a way that respects that. And, and so I appreciate this podcast and your book. So thank you for letting us be guests here. Um, thank you both for being on. I, I wrote down the word belonging as a key message that you both share. And I've been thinking a lot about that word. I think of Elder Uchtdorf's quote where he said, there should be no meter, I'm paraphrasing, no sign at the door that measures the height of your testimony to feel welcome in a congregation. And I think he's teaching a principle of belonging there. Um, I think of the scripture in, in Moses 7:18, and the Lord called his people Zion because they were of one heart and one mind, and they dwelt in righteousness, and there was no poor among them. And to me, the one heart and one mind is we have a common goal to come unto Christ and help others. It doesn't mean we have the same political views, the same social views, that we're all, you know, it, to me, it's what Elder Uchtdorf is describing there. And I think if I were in charge of a local congregation or I'm a father of a family or just circles that I have influence over, I think that feeling of belonging that you're two describing is what I'd want to create. And then that means I've got to embrace the beautiful diversity that would exist within that circle. I can't quite remember Elder Cook's quote from conference, but he talked about the importance of diversity as not being an opposite of unity mm -hmm. in some way. And so I love this world of belonging, and I think that we do need to belong. And so if we're LGBTQ, we need to feel like we belong to the LDS community, if that's what, and if we're a parent of an LGBTQ child, or whatever, you know, an undocumented worker, a person from an, any minority group, I think that's one of our responsibilities is to create a feeling of belonging. And, and we've got to hear stories. We've got to be able to see this, the curved lines within all those straight lines. We have to, people are hard to hate close up, move in is what Brene Brown teaches. So um, there's so many excellent nuggets in this podcast you two have shared. Um, we will link to um, the things we've referenced, several links, listeners, and just a final shout out to Laurie Rodriguez, this wonderful mother of a couple LGBTQ children in the Chicago area for the great work you're doing. And Dr. Mary uh, Elizabeth Wild in Southern Utah for the great work you're doing. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Thank you.